Welcome to Drupal Easy Podcast, episode 203. My name is Mike Anello, and joining me today uh, from uh, outside of Princeton, New Jersey. Are you, no, you're not actually in Princeton. You're outside of Princeton. Right, David? I am outside of Princeton. Outside of Princeton, New Jersey. David Hernandez. Um, welcome, David. How's it going? Going great. How you doing, Mike? Um, we've been talking about getting you on the podcast uh, on and off for a few months, so we finally uh, figured out a good time for it. So just to introduce you to our listeners, because I don't think you've been on the podcast before, have you? Uh, no, I don't think I have. Do you always send your request out for 8 o'clock in the morning? <laughs> so you are one of the uh, Drupal Camp New Jersey organizers. I believe that is true. Correct. Um, you are also one of the folks um, uh, who is involved in, who not was, I guess is, uh, present tense, involved in some of this evolution of Drupal governance stuff that's going on. I believe that's a true statement as well. Correct. Um, you're also, uh, your day job is manager of learning and contributions at FFW. Also correct. Yes. I think at a future DrupalCon, there could actually probably be a trivia question about what was FFW called before they were FFW. Because I actually had to stop and think about it this morning for... More than a few seconds. So, spoiler alerts. Uh, blink, blink reaction. Were you with F? Were you ever with Blink and Pro People? Oh, Pro People. Um, I wasn't. I, I joined after the merger. That's true. It was Blink reaction merged with Pro People. That's definitely a trivia question. And then I just found out. Um, I don't know if it was this, wasn't this morning, but when I was um, prepping the podcast, um, that you are an Acquia certified grandmaster. So that's also correct. That's pretty cool as well. So if you try. if you do if you were to explain or if, I don't explain is not the right word but if you had to choose like what is your role um, like if someone said David we need your help building a site how would you identify would you identify as um, a module developer a full stack developer a front end developer like what's your kind of go to skill in Drupal um, I guess I'm kind of full stack developer, but in most of the projects that actually get involved with that work, I'm usually put in the front end role. Right. Okay. That's what I was thinking. Um, and I know you're, this is kind of off, off topic a little bit, but um, I, I remember talking to you more than a few times um, as Drupal 8 was being developed and after Drupal 8 came out, um, you're a big fan of uh, like, um, libraries. CSS and JavaScript libraries and the way that Drupal organizes them. I think I've, we've talked about this. Yeah, I've done a couple of presentations on that. Um, I, I helped a lot with the, you know, as we called ourselves, the Twig team, getting a lot of the fun improvements in and working on things like uh, classy and stable, those base themes and everything. And then we started building the whole library system that's in Drupal 8 um, in order to really solve a lot of the problems that were necessary for core itself. Right, so that whole thing that everybody loves now, where you can get your libraries at YAML file and put it, uh, put all your configurations in there, but then in your info file do, you know, library overrides and extends and all that kind of stuff. That actually came in pretty late, um, and it's actually a really awesome functionality. It is very cool. It's it's one of those things where I'm I'm willing to bet that in the Drupal universe, there's probably eighty percent of the people who use Drupal eight just create a global CSS dump it into their info file and, and are done with it. But 
that's really only the tip of the, that iceberg as far as what can be done. Yeah, and there's an open issue somewhere that I saw to take that extends and overrides and actually put them into their own files so people will actually be able to do that um, and it'll be a, probably a little more obvious um, some of that manipulation that you can do. Um, but yeah, definitely I've got a bunch of presentations that are online that I've done at camps and things that talk about how to attach libraries in different ways and do them from within Twig and other places so that you don't need just that singular styles file. All right, well let's let's get off that topic because that was not even planned. That just kind of popped in my head here. Um, let's talk about Drupal Camp New Jersey, which is coming up um, in the next couple of weeks. We're hoping to get this podcast out um, in uh, mid-January or very close to the middle, exact middle of January, um, which will give uh, our listeners about two, two and a half weeks to get their reservation set for Drupal Camp New Jersey, which is February 2nd through 4th. Uh, it's a Friday through Sunday, David? Yeah, so Friday we do training all day. Um, Saturday we do the camp with the after party, and then Sunday we usually try to do a community day sprint kind of thing. Right. Yeah, that's that's um, that pattern. I think is becoming more and more more and more common. I know that's very similar to what we do in Florida. Um, there's been a bunch of other camps that I've attended that kind of follow that same Friday, Saturday, Sunday uh, schedule, which which seems to work. Um, uh, pretty well. What uh, um, you guys have been doing this camp for a while, right? Uh, yeah, this is our. I want to say it's like our sixth or seventh year doing the camp, um, and it's it's all it's worked pretty well uh, each year. Um, although we we always run into the same issues. We're like, oh my god, like are we going to sell enough tickets down to the wire? And then always there's like a hundred people buy tickets in the last week or something. It always drives me nuts. Yeah, I think we found that we get. Half of our tickets sold um, leading uh, up to the to a month out. So if we look at our how many tickets we've sold as of a month out, we generally have a pretty good idea of how many tickets we're going to sell because we just double that, and that's kind of what we've been what we've been going with. Um, has your has has your camp changed much since it started? As far as like how how it's structured or uh, I would say the, the, the three days has not changed at all, other than the fact that I think the first year or two we didn't have the training. Um, but otherwise, oh, we've done a little experimentation. I think what's changed the most is we keep going back and forth between whether to have a keynote or featured speakers or not have any of it. We're not doing any keynotes this year. Uh, I think we found that it's often difficult to find the right person to do a keynote. Um, and so it, for, you know, for a camp, it's, it's sometimes just not worth the effort. Um, we might move to doing the featured ones like you guys do in Florida. I think I kind of like that because at least it gives you – it's like, well, all right, these are just sessions, but at least it gives you something to put like on the homepage and like, these people are coming. Uh, but that's, that would probably be the biggest change. Yeah, that has challenges as well because that's one of those things where, okay, if you do a f- featured speakers um, – then how do you you want to you want to promote those but you also want to get a lot of people in the room so it's kind of like the keynote where you know finding a, a keynote speaker that everyone is you know where the vast majority are, are, are you know really looking forward to seeing and hearing from is is difficult and but i think that 
kind of have the same issue with featured speakers. Right. But I mean, at least with the feature speakers, I think it's more reasonable for them to have just a session. Right. Whereas I feel like the keynote has to be a particular, like it has to be a keynote type talk, right? You can't just be like, hey, I'm going to talk for an hour on like Drupal 8 type building. It's like, that's not a keynote. So let me ask another question. Um, and this is something I was thinking about um, earlier this morning. Kind of goes along with, you know, uh, asking you how your, your the camp has, you know, changed in the past few years. But how about the attendees? Do you see that um, for Drupal Camp New Jersey, um, are you getting more folks from out of town or fewer folks from out of town? Has that changed from when you first started running the camp? So I'm looking through the attendee list right now, actually, now that you mention it. And I feel like we maybe get fewer people from out of town. Um, definitely, I, I would say probably fewer that are traveling a significant distance because where we're positioned, we're basically getting people between Philly and New York. All right, so you know you could argue somebody from Philly or from New York is traveling because they might have to come a distance and or take the train or something like that. Um, but I don't think we get too many anymore that are like somebody who flew in or somebody who like came from that like really sort of out of this sort of tri-state area to come to the camp. Would you define Philly and New York as as out of town or no? For our camp, I wouldn't I personally wouldn't really call that out of town. I would call that within our market. Um, but if somebody drove from like Connecticut or Boston or something like that, I would consider that yeah, out of town. Well, Philadelphia, they don't have an uh, uh... They haven't been running a camp, right? They were off, I think, a year, but I'm pretty sure that they're starting that up again. And I think the Philly camp is going to be like in April or May or something like that. I just think I'm kind of thinking out loud here, like where are the camps that are closest to Drupal Camp New Jersey, which is, for those people that don't know, it's held in Princeton, which is, what, a couple hours from New York City? Is that fair? Yeah. I mean, pretty much almost directly halfway between Philly and New York. I mean, so there's D.C., which is, what's that, a two, three-hour south? Yeah, it's about three hours. About three hours south. New York. You mentioned the Philly one. Are there any others that are within, you know, kind of an easy drive? Uh, there's the PA one, which is... But that's Western PA, isn't it? Right, but that's like kind of Penn State-ish. I, see, I've gotten the feeling just attending different events... Um, in the past year or so that I think camps are you're becoming more like super regional, right? Like, you know, camps that are, and bad camps are probably a, a, a bad example because bad camps, you know, well attended by a lot of people, but. Right. But are you, are you just going to the larger ones? Well, I mean, um, yeah, I think that's probably a fair statement. I mean, Drupal Camp Montreal comes to mind, or Drupal North, I think, is what it was, you know, last time I went is what it was called. Um, yeah, maybe I am just going to the larger ones. Uh, you know, speaking as an organizer of Florida, I think we get a lot more people from out of state than we have in the past. Well, you're, you're Florida in February. We are Florida in February, yeah. We, we exploit that as much as possible. It's a good idea. <laughs> so where do you think, you know, you know just... Look out in the future as far as, you know, the next few years, and we don't even have to limit this to just, you know, camps, but, you know, how, how do you, do you see meetups or, or camps or even Drupal cons, like the, the attendance or, um, 
I mean, do, do you see a lot of big, you know, any change there? I'm, I'm trying to, in my head, I'm trying to figure out, you know, I've, we've talked about this on the podcast before, not you and I, but, you know, just in general on the podcast about how there are definitely folks who would prefer to attend two or three camps than a single con. Right. I think, and I, and I think um, the camps, as you say, are becoming... Um, well, you used, I think, or had the perspective of super regional, but I think also people are preferring to put more time and energy or go to something that's closer. Um, so it's actually like I haven't um, gone to many camps that are a significant distance from me in the last year or two, but I did previously. Um, so like I didn't go to bad camp or mid camp um, I didn't go to Montreal this past year. I did the year before, but you know, it's like I'll I'll do Philly, I'll do Princeton, I'll do New York, I'll do GovCon. Like I'd rather kind of stay within that sort of sphere of driving distance to me and do more of those events. Um, and I think people are also doing more other events because I'd like to branch out and do more non-Drupal ones as well. So if there's you know other things that are near me, I'd like to try some of those out as well instead of, like, fly to California to go to a two-day camp and come back, right? So, yeah, I'd rather spend my money doing that instead. But if someone decides, you know, you know, most people have a finite, you know, amount of travel time and travel budget. So if something has to get cut out in order to attend, like you said, like a, a non-Drupal event or an additional regional event... Um, I feel that more often than not, you know, and it, it, it's, it, it, and again, this could just be my own perspective, but it, to me, it feels like the con is what's going to be on the chopping block for a lot of people. No, I would agree. I would agree with you. Um, I think DrupalCon has gotten, it, it, partly because it's gotten so big that it's, you know, it's a large thing. It sometimes can be difficult to get hotels at a decent rate. Um, it's just, it can be really overwhelming for people. And especially if you just want to learn, you're coming there because you just want to learn a few things. You might actually be better off going to two camps that are more intimate. You can sit down and actually talk to people all day long and you don't feel like you're rushing all over the place. I mean, even for me, like I've, I've been to so many of them, it can be kind of an overwhelming experience. I'm like running around. I've got like booth duty and then I've got like a session that I'm giving and then going to a boff and then trying to attend some sessions and running into people in the hallway and it's just like this whirlwind we're at the end of it and like I don't think I like actually went to more than like maybe one or two sessions to actually learn something or do something productive um, so for a lot of people you know if you don't uh, if you're not if you don't need to see the people that are there like that's you know if that isn't your only opportunity to run into people or or to learn something new or go to a session or something you, you could be better off at a camp yeah and maybe you know, maybe that's the best way to um kind of you know think about it is what's your goal if your goal is just to learn and as much as possible and see as many sessions as possible a con may not be the best place i think a con for developers really makes sense if you need to network, if you want to network, if you're going to talk to people and, and go to some of these smaller groups, either core conversation or a boff or you know, even the sprints. Right, because the con is where everyone's going to be there. Right, So if all these people you've been talking to online, you need to see them in person and sit down in a room with them and hang out and all that kind of stuff, you want to go to DrupalCon. 
Um, and if you're a, I would say if you're more of a more advanced developer, the DrupalCon experience is probably going to be a little better just in that there's more, a lot more advanced talks that are there because of the people that are there. But if you're a beginning developer and you're just getting introduced to different topics, you're probably better off at a camp which are going to have more people giving like introductory sessions and to different topics and like a lot more site building tends to happen at camps and things like that. How about meetups? I know that in, in our area, meetups have kind of, there are not nearly as many meetups taking place in the various Florida cities than, than there were five years ago. Are you seeing something similar? Yeah, the meetups have kind of cooled off. Are you seeing fewer meetups in general or just fewer Drupal ones? That's a great question. I'm definitely seeing fewer Drupal ones. I, you know, admittedly, I don't have my finger on the pulse of that many other types of meetups. Um, I know that there's there's definitely front end meetups going on. I can tell you that. Okay, because I've also was a little bit a part of some other like sysadmin technology meetups that kind of fizzled as well. So I'm just curious whether or not, in general, there's just some cooling off. Um, but I would say for ours, we have. Um, we run a, a meetup that's at Princeton University as well on a regular basis. Uh, ours has been pretty consistent. Like we we go up and down all the time. We're like some sometimes there's 20 people that show up for the meetup. Sometimes like four people show up for the meetup. It's just it's been that way since the very beginning. Um, but what we just did recently was uh, change our focus from being purely Drupal, and we changed our name to just be more general web development just to try to get more people in because on a regular basis we'd sit in a room and there'd be like the six or seven regulars that were all there. And we were like, you know what, I'd rather the group be bigger even if it was less Drupal focused. Not that we aren't going to talk about Drupal stuff still, but I'd rather be in a room with 30 people than in a room with six people just doing Drupal. Uh, so we went ahead and changed that and we just had a meetup last night and we got like two or three new people that were not Drupal people show up. Um, so that's good, and we were talking about a bunch of different things. We were talking about REST APIs and React and you know, other random things. And I, I think that's I think that's healthy. I think some people worry like, oh, what's happening to Drupal? Are we not going to be talking about Drupal all the time? But I think it's healthy to not be talking about Drupal all the time to get get out of that bubble. Yeah, my uh, you know, in thinking about it, my theory has been that it's. One, it's probably a combination of at least two things that's going on as far as why the meetups have, uh, I like the, the phrase you use, cooled off. Um, I think number one is it's, you know, to get into Drupal 8, there's a higher, there's definitely a higher bar, right? It's not as easy to, for a hobbyist, for a casual web developer, so to speak, to get into Drupal 8 as it was for previous versions. Um, so I think that's part of it. I also think that part of it is there is such a plethora of learning materials and presentations and and screencasts online that if people want to learn something about, you know, technology X, um, you don't have to go to a meetup. I mean, you know, meetups are good to talk to other people and find local contacts and stuff like that. But if you're... If you're just looking to learn, there's just so much out there that a Google search is, is so easy and will probably find you something, you know, halfway decent. I also think it might have a little bit to do with 
Drupal's been around, you know, for for quite a while. And I've been in it for I think over eleven about eleven years now, something like that. And a lot of people have been in it for a long time. Just there could be some burnout going on as far as you know, organizer burnout. People. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that that has affected camps as well, where it's a lot of the same people who have been doing individual camps for five, six, seven years, and those people just you know, and it's it's not necessarily necessarily burnout in the way that we think of like they get fried but it's just you know, even on, I, I see this in myself it's like well we keep doing this and it's like it's just kind of getting a little boring it's like complacency almost yeah and and i think with a lot of drupal we've had some of that problem as well not getting um maybe younger people in and you're seeing a lot of the developers the core contributors people running camps people running organizations, things like that, who just gotten older and have kids now and things like that, and they just they just don't volunteer as much as they did before. It's not that they don't do Drupal anymore for a living or don't like it. They're just like, they're doing other things. So we need more like 22-year-olds out there that are going to like volunteer all the time and put a lot of effort into it. Well, it's almost a chicken and the egg situation because, you know, the folks who have been organizing for a while or, or these core committers, they have a lot of the institutional knowledge and they're probably the best people for the job from an efficiency standpoint, let's say. Um, but someone who is new and who wants to get involved sees you know, all of these very experienced people in these positions and sees it as, well, you know, I, I'm not nearly qualified enough to, to do that, to do thing X or thing Y. So it's almost one of those things where, you know, there's going to have to be a void for someone to step into rather than it to be naturally occurring. Right. And it probably hurts that in the beginning, all of those people kind of didn't exist because we were all idiots and didn't know what we're doing. And then when you reach a point where like all those people have 10 years of experience and are super serious and awesome and know everything that everyone else is like, Oh, let me just step back and let them deal with that because they really know what they're doing. And I don't. That's I, I could, I, uh, we should move on. I, I, I feel like I can keep talking about this, but it's probably not super interesting to to, to everybody listening. So um, let's talk about something else that, that both you and I have been involved in. You a, a bit more, uh, that's being um, not very generous, so I'll say a lot more than, than me. And this is with the evolution of community governance. It doesn't have an official name. Um, it, there's no official committee. It was just kind of a, a loosely knit group of volunteers, you, know, you and me included, um, who kind of came together and wanted to kind of, um, from a community, from a grassroots standpoint, is move the conversation forward when it comes to the evolution of Drupal's community governance. Um, you know, after DrupalCon or during DrupalCon Baltimore and after DrupalCon Baltimore, there were these community discussions. Uh, led by Whitney Hess. Um, a lot of this came out of the Larry Garfield situation. A lot of people had a lot of emotions and feelings and, and opinions about how the community should deal with situations like this and, and other situations involving community governance. Um, so it was kind of an opportunity to, to start that conversation. And after Whitney um, f wrapped up her work and delivered her findings... Um, 
you know, you and I, David, as well as a bunch of other people. Um, I don't have the list in front of me, so I'm afraid to mention anybody for fear of leaving anybody out. So, um, uh, but there were, you know, I'd say maybe what, eight people or so um, who decided, let's go ahead and let's have some additional discussions to generate ideas and just try and figure out how this is going to look how you know how do we how, how do we evolve community governance how do, what does that discussion look like um so there were some online um uh, discussions held some on slack i think you actually did one on irc um and at the end of those there were some takeaways so let me stop talking now and david did i summarize that well or and if i didn't you know fill in any gaps and kind of um, to tell, you know, where are we and, like, what's next? Well, so, all right, so interest, in interest of transparency, which is often difficult in these things, I think we can talk about um, how we got here. Um, so as you said, like, yeah, you you were heavily involved, uh, I guess you and George DeMet, because you guys are in the community working group, um, and sort of were tasked after a lot of the stuff that went on in the conversations at the DrupalCon, sort of, like, figure out, like, what do we do? Where does this go? And so uh, you guys basically talked to a few of us. It was like me, Adam Bergstein, um, Nikki Stevens, to just review the materials, right? So that's what it was originally was, right? Uh, review the takeaways that came out of those community discussions and the survey that went out, right? So there was that big survey that went out, and people were thinking, all right, we'll, let's have like a big – Let's have a, a conference or a, a big powwow or whatever and try to figure out this governance stuff and let's do this big survey. So you guys asked us to basically review the materials from the survey and write this blog post and try to get some takeaways and figure out what to do and should we actually have this this summit or whatever it is and, and do all that kind of stuff. So we reviewed that and tried to figure out what to say about it. Um, and then basically at the end of it we realized, hey, summit is probably not a good idea. Um, because we don't, you know, summit, the things about summits is that it's, it's like getting a bunch of people, first of all, who are the right people and then putting them in a hotel or something for like two days, to try to hash it all out and then have this answer at the end of it. But that's not a good idea because you, there's so much more discovery and research that has to be done and talking to people and trying to figure out what exactly needs to be done. What are people feeling? What direction do we need to go? you know, basically, like, do a big, you know, uh, exploratory discovery process and figure out exactly what we need to do or not do, all right? So then when we did that, then it was like, okay, maybe we should have these conversations, all right? So we started the process of figuring out how to set up these discussions that we would do, mostly in Slack, and just invite everyone to come and just talk, and so we would facilitate them, like not not be there to just ask questions and drive the conversation, but have people show up and just tell us what they think, um, tell us you know what they think about governance, what they're looking for, how some of this might work, um, just to get different ideas. Because I think the hope, you know, you and me talked about this a lot at at Baltimore and other times, and the hope was like we wanted people not to be appointed, but to just sort of 
spontaneously grow from the ground and like take up the mantle and say, this is, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I have ideas. I'm going to publicize my ideas and get people to rally to this idea. And this is how things are going to go. And that's, that's, that's a grassroots way of doing it. But that just wasn't happening. Nobody was doing it. So we were trying to have these discussions, not just to get feedback, but to also promote that and to just get a bunch of people in the same place. So if they would all show up to the conversations, we could then say, hey, you're all here in the room. Why don't you all you know, not just talk about this, but maybe even post your own ideas, make blog posts, get together yourselves and just do this sort of organically uh, because we didn't want to have to be the ones to just like be appointed as the new champions of governance and we're going to take this over and like rewrite all the policies and do everything and we are going to redefine what all this stuff looks like uh, and then we knew the response from that is going to be, well, who are, you know, who the hell are you? Like, who put you in charge and, and say that, like, you're the ones who are going to do all this? And we're like, we're going to be hands-off. We just want to have a conversation so that all you people just can air whatever it is you want to say, but also kind of get in the same room and see if something develops from that. Uh, so we had a, how, how many conversations? We had, like, 12 conversations or something like that in Slack. I did a couple in IRC. Um, and... You know, it was just to sort of figure out what to do. Um, so we did get a lot of information. We wrote another blog post. So you guys go to the uh, Drupal.org. You can find these blog posts up there that sort of outline the, our takeaways and executive summary and things like that. And we post all the transcripts from those conversations there. So I think the biggest takeaway that we got from that was everyone's basically asking essentially Dries to make a value statement, which should be the first thing that gets created, and then from that value statement, try to figure out whether or not the governance that we currently have matches that value statement at all, uh, which it likely won't. Um, and if so, what changes do we then have to make? Um, so I think for most people, what you really need to understand is that this is, I think, you know, an evolving process. There is no idea of exactly what's going to happen on what date and what the result's going to be. Um, it just we just want to make sure it just keeps going. So at the point we're at right now, those conversations are kind of done. Um, Dries, I know, has on his plate, he started working over the break, the holiday break, on something for a value statement. Uh, I don't think that's been completed yet. He did ask us for some feedback and some wording and different things like that. Um, I think the board is working on some of those things to sort of put something together and, and sort of figure it out uh, with feedback, and I'm sure it'll get once they're done and feel comfortable with it, get published somewhere at some point. Um, maybe have a conversation about it at DrupalCon since that's going to be coming up in a few months. Um, and then, you know, just keep going, right? So we're going to have to look at that and then decide things like, does the role of the board make sense based on that? Does the role of the DA make sense? Is what things are not clarified? So right now, a lot of things aren't clarified. You know, people don't fully understand everyone's role, like what is Dries' role moving forward, what is the DA's role, what, are, what is the role of individual people, like who counts as a community member and who doesn't, who counts as a contributor and who doesn't, you know, where does the code of conduct apply and where doesn't it apply, you know, what are all these different rules, we have to make sure those things are kind of clear, but also make sure that they're done in a way that makes sense. Right, and you know, it's something that you and I talked about, you know, as a member of the community working group, when right now when we have to escalate something, we have to escalate it to Dries. And Dries has, you know, he's publicly stated he doesn't want to be the sole escalation point. So there has to be some new escalation point, which I think, you know, 
Here's where we're going we're gonna to go into my personal opinion. I think it should be a group of people, not just a, a single person, but who decides who, who that group of people is. Is that something that is appointed by Dries, or is that something that is voted on by the community? Is that something that's voted on by, you know, some other, some subset of the community? Like how, so when we're talking about evolution of governance, we're talking about, you know, things like this. Like what are the mechanics of putting, you know, a new governance in place or, or, or changing the governance or adding like a new body um, to the governance structure? These are, these are difficult questions um, and David, I think you and I have, have been on the same page from the very beginning that the only way it's going to work is if the community is greatly involved from the bottom up. Um, because if it's, if it's imposed on the community, um, and imposed is a strong word, probably not the best word, but uh, I can't think of another word right now. Well, I'm, there are certain things that have to be imposed, as you say. Um, because, yes, the chicken and egg problem is, like, there are certain changes that we're going to make, but, like, they, the community can't change them because there are things that, like, are in the bylaws that, like, Dries have to do it, right? So if Dries have to do it, then it's a top-down thing. Um, but I think, yeah, I, mean, I agree with you that that escalation point needs to go to a group. I think that group has to be community members. But, again, we have a, we have a problem of, who appoints those people? Is it by election? Because if it's by election, then you get popularity contests for who's on that group, right? And it becomes difficult to manage things like the diversity of that group. And, you know, do you end up with, if it's five people, do you end up with just, uh, you know, five white male developers from the United States on that group? And, you know, that may not work out well, right? But then if you were going to, um, ensure that there's proper diversification, regional diversification, everything in that group, then you really have to have different rules. You have to like either define that each position belongs to a different region or appoint people directly. And if, you know, in elections, you we know this very well right now. The elections don't always give you qualified people put into a position. Um, so, you know, if you're going to say that you want certain qualifications and somebody has to have, like, experience with conflict resolution um, and people management or things like that, well, like, well, who defines the qualifications? Or are we just going to appoint people directly and then who does the appointing? Things like, you know, it's very difficult. Um, I, I would, at the very least, I want people to understand that uh, I don't think there's any bad actors in this process. Um, and even if we don't get this right, just know that it is incredibly difficult, I think, to get it right. And, I, and on top of everything you're saying, you know, there's who manages that whole process. Like who manages, if there is a voting, you know, if there's a vote, who manages the vote? Is that something the DA does? Well, the DA, you know, do they have the resources to, to do that? Um, I mean, there, there's a lot of, you know, or does that go to volunteers, and if it does go to volunteers, I mean, do we have the volunteer manpower to, to do that in a timely fashion? So it just, the as we start thinking about this as a community, I think we'll all realize how difficult this is. Um, and not saying that we can't do it because the community has done a lot of really difficult things in the past, but it's something that uh, I, I think I speak for both you and I, David. Um, you know, I think we both feel it, it needs to be done. 
Um, it's not going to get done quickly. I don't think there's any way that's possible, but it needs to be done in progress, needs to continue to be made. And that's kind of the whole point of what, you know, the, these community governance um, uh, meetings uh, were all about. I do have the list of people in front of me now, so I do want to mention this list real quick just because um, I think it's important. So in addition to, David, you mentioned uh, George Demet as well, um, but I'm going to go through the list here. So Alana Burke, um, yourself, David, this is uh, alphabetically by Drupal.org username, so no order here. Um, Alana Burke, you, David, uh, Nikki Stevens, George Demet, Kenny Abarka, I think I pronounced his name right, Adam Bergstein, I think we mentioned, uh, Shaimala, I can never say her last name. Um, do you know how to say her last name? Rajaram, I think. I'm going to let you suffer through uh, that one. Thank you very much. Um, but Shaimala is one of the um, the DA uh, community board members. Is that the right way of saying it? Yeah, she's one of the community elected positions. Thank you. And then is it F uh, Fatima? I always want to say Fatima, but I think it's is it. F I think it's Fatima, right? I always say Fatima. Fatima, okay. I don't know if I'm correct or not. Right, one of us is right, hopefully. Um, and then myself is, is the last one. Uh, Fatima uh, Sarah, uh, Sarah Khalid is her name. So those were the, what's it, nine people I think I mentioned? One, two, three, four. Yes, nine people who have kind of been involved with these uh, the meetings and the, and the summary. And There's a link to all this in the, in the um, blog notes. Uh, I'm sorry, the podcast notes to get to the blog post. Okay, um, David, I think you, you briefly mentioned it. Did you, you've submitted a session to DrupalCon about all this? Yeah, so we, we worked on that blog post for the takeaways, and um, I submitted a session for it at DrupalCon. And I think there's, a, there's like a community governance organization track or something. So I submitted it to, to that, and whichever of us uh, are at DrupalCon, I think we'll probably all attend. Um, so I'm on it, um, Nikki and George and Adam um, and Alana and I think Fatima as well. Uh, we all I put all our names on it. So uh, if you're interested in the topic and you're going to be at DrupalCon, we're going to do a little bit of a retrospective. We're still trying to figure out exactly how to do it, assuming a session even gets accepted. Um, and then maybe we'll set aside like half the time to just sort of like do QA and get answers from people about different things. So what we're, we were really struggling with um, is trying to get more people involved. Uh, so a lot of the conversations that we had did end up with, some of them had decent numbers, some of them had small numbers. Um, a lot of them had a lot of the same sort of motivated, interested people there, and it was difficult to get, you know, lots of newer people involved, particularly people from, you know, outside of the United States. Um, that's what we really are looking for as well. Um, so more Europeans, Asians, South Americans, you know, wherever you might be hiding. Um, so we're looking for suggestions and trying to see what we can do, come up with different plans, just try to get as many people involved as we can. Absolutely. All right, let's do a uh, 180 on the topic here um, and move out of governance and talk about uh, something else that you're involved with at FFW. This is like a tour de force of David Hernandez, this podcast. It's pretty impressive. One of the another thing that FFW does is you guys have and promote and develop um, a local development stack called Doxel, which is based on Docker. Um, you want to talk about that just for a second and what your role is with with that, David? Uh, sure. So, um, 
I would say the so the Drupal world kind of, you know, we've had different development tools. A lot of people getting started were using things like Aqua Dev Desktop or like your own MAMP or WAMP or, hey, I'm on Linux. I just do my own thing and all that. Um, and we ended up developing something in-house that was different in Docker-based because when you work at an agency, you work on lots of projects at the same time. Um, and we have lots of different kinds of developers, so not just people who were going to have those sort of like sysadmin capabilities where it's like, hey, no big deal. I'll install a different version of PHP. I'll, I'll modify these configurations. I can get Solar up and running, all that kind of stuff. Um, so some folks worked on this Docker-based tool to make that kind of thing easier, and we're seeing a lot more of that now, right? So there's other you know tools that people can use like DDEVs and things like that that also are Docker-based. Um, but we had ours out for a while, and it was basically so that, you know, I've got one project with one client, and it uses Solar and Varnish, and then i got another project with another client. It doesn't even do that at all. Uh, i got another project with another client, and it uses WordPress, not Drupal, and I've got a, another project that's, you know, Node.js project and all this kind of stuff, and you want to be able to basically support all of them without having to be a sysadmin, right? So that's what makes Docker really nice is that you can just have individual containers for all these projects that run different services, but you don't have to be the one to like figure it all out, and you don't have to worry about like version conflicts and all that kind of stuff. Like one project's running this version of PHP, another one's running a different version of PHP. So anyway, so we made this thing, and we use it a lot internally for all of our projects, and decided to release it. And I've been helping a lot with sort of like documentation and promoting it and writing blog posts and things like that to get, you know, because once you make something that's open source, you want other people to use it. Um, so, you know, it's out there and I've been encouraging people to use it and getting pretty good feedback from a lot of people. Um, for me, that's the number one thing is I like talking to people about it and just finding out how are you using it, what are your limitations, what are things that you really want, you know, what are your use cases and things like that. And we've been basically continuously developing it and making changes to it. I feel like there's a bit of a renaissance that's been going on the past year or so with local development environments. You know, I, you know, I think when I started with Drupal, a lot of people were using just like MAMP or WAMP or ZAMP. Um, but as I look around now and talk to people, there's no rhyme or reason. I mean, some people are, are using, you know, Drupal VM. Some people are using Aqua Dev Desktop. Some people are still on, you know, MAMP or WAMP. Some people are using a Docker-based solution like Doxel. Um, I noticed, uh, David, as I was looking at the Drupal Camp New Jersey sessions, um, John Kennedy, I think he's with Aquia, or he was with Aquia. I believe he's still with Aquia, is giving a, a session about this uh, very topic. Are you f familiar with that session at all, or...? Uh, yeah, he has some. He wants to go over some information about how to choose the right development environment for you. Uh, I think we actually had a bunch of talks similar to that, um, different development environments and DevOps and build workflows and things like that. We were debating about doing a panel on it, but it's yeah, it's become it's become a big thing because we've gotten more sophisticated, right? Especially now with Drupal 8, where you have to use Composer. And you have people that are doing JavaScript front ends that you know may require Node.js and build tools and stuff like that. It's like you can't get away with just using MAMP anymore. Yeah, I was going to say. So, would you say are, is 
I mean, for someone doing Drupal 8, if you're still... This, I don't, this is going to be a blanket statement, so it's, it's all right. Um, would you say that if, if you're developing on Drupal 8 and you're still using, you know, something like MAMP, um, how big of an issue is that? Is that something where, is that like a red flag for you that you're like, mm, you really shouldn't be using that. There's so many better tools out there or are you of the mindset, you know, whatever, whatever works, whatever, you know, you're comfortable with. Personally, I'm, I'm usually of the mindset of whatever works is fine. Uh, but you're going to need something more than MAMP, I think is really the big thing, right? Because MAMP doesn't do Composer, right? So you're still going to have to have Composer on command line or something like that, and you're still going to, you know, if you're using some CSS preprocessor, you have to build it in some way, and so you're going to have some tool that does that. If you're using MAMP as just the server, then, you know, it's like, who cares? Yeah, I think we're rapidly approaching the time where something like MAMP is, is just not going to cut it as much as, as much as we would like it to. Um, I mean, you could still use MAMP, but like you said, you're, but you're going to have to install all of these other, you know, tools separately. Right. And you always run into the situation where, um, you've got this thing installed locally and it's part of your, your laptop. It's part of your computer as you're doing development. We've all had this problem in the past and like, what happens when you break it or something doesn't work right or like you quickly need to change versions to support something and you're like, oh, I updated the version of PHP it's using, but then a project I was working on six months ago that I have to go back to to make a change to doesn't run now because then I have to go back into the configuration and restart everything and like do all that kind of crap, right? That's why it doesn't cut it anymore. Whereas something like Doxel, all your configurations, everything that's defined for the services that you need are all per projects, right? So when you just skip from one to the other, it doesn't matter. They're all just doing completely different things. They're all isolated from each other. So if someone wants to use Doxel or learn Doxel or talk to you about Doxel, like where, where's the best place online? What's the, what's kind of the go-to? Um, so we've got, you can go to doxel.io. There's a website there, which is mostly just gonna redirect you to other places. Um, so you can, if you go to GitHub, where we have everything set up, so the github.com slash doxel, so where the account's set up, you'll find a link in there that we do have a Gitter. Um, so you can go to the Gitter and ask for support and talk to people in there. Um, and then uh, we have a Twitter account. Um, I started setting up a YouTube channel to post some videos, but if you actually want to talk to people, get support, the Gitter is probably the best place to do it. Okay, that's, that's what I was hoping you would say. For people that don't, don't know who would Gitter is, it's like an online, you know, it's like Slack or HipChat or whatever, but it's directly connected to GitHub. So if you've got a GitHub account, you can basically click the link and go right in. All right. So in a minute, we're going to, our last topic is going to be DrupalCon Europe, not DrupalCon Europe. I'm sorry, just Drupal Europe minus the con. Um, but before we do that, I want to mention our sponsor, mydropwizard.com. Um, if you uh, manage a Drupal 6, 7, or 8 site, and you would rather not be doing kind of the day-to-day -day module updates, security updates, and things like that, then you should uh, talk to the folks at mydropwizard.com because that's what they do. Um, plans start at $99 a month. Uh, they will help keep uh, uh, core and contrib modules up to date. They'll make sure your site stays online. 
Um, they actually also do some support for core and, and, and popular contrib modules. And um, if you need a little bit more help with, you know, you know, you know, fixing a view or a CSS tweak, they can even help you with that. Um, when you join up with them, you get a site audit. Um, they even offer um, complimentary hosting, which I think is pretty cool. Um, a 30-day money-back guarantee. And if you have any uh, support questions, uh, they guarantee a 24-hour response time. So you can check them out at mydropwizard.com. And thanks to them for their continued support of the Drupal Easy podcast. All right, so let's talk about something I just saw come across on Twitter this morning. Um, so I'm going to read the tweet um, verbatim because I don't know a whole lot about it, um, but it's kind of exciting. Uh, happy to announce Drupal Europe will be held on the week of September 10th through 14th in uh, Darmstadt. Hopefully I pronounced that right. D-A-R-M-S-T-A-D-T, Darmstadt, Germany. Uh, which is only a 20-minute drive from Frankfurt Airport in beautiful new Darm Stadium, Stadtium, Stadtium. I don't know if that's... Well, I think it's a big convention center. Um, stay tuned for details. See you there. So this is um, basically the community's effort to hold a Drupal-wide, or I'm sorry, a Europe-wide Drupal event in lieu of DrupalCon Europe, which is taking a year off this year to reorganize. Um, so I think that's pretty exciting that the, that the European community has kind of gotten together and are going to be promoting and organizing um, a replacement for DrupalCon um, in Germany in September, which is a similar timing as, as the, um, you know, Drupal, DrupalCon Europe's in the past. I have a feeling that this is kind of going to be in the future um, a model that will take on the DrupalCon name where... There will be a community-led effort to, um, you know, work with the DA to figure out a, a good location um, and a good program for Drupal, DrupalCon Europe. Um, I think it's great to see that the that the European community is doing this. So kudos to them. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention related to this, and something David, you you, you know, let me know this morning. Somehow this escaped my radar. Um, so there was a blog post by uh, Rachel Friesen of, uh, I should, I guess, well, today, technically today is her last day of the Drupal Association. So if you're listening to this podcast, it's formerly of the Drupal Association. If you're David or I, she still has a few hours left. Um, but Rachel posted a recap from DrupalCon Vienna, which um, had some interesting stats. Dave, uh, you, I know you, you, you enlightened me on some of these. You want to mention a couple of these? Uh, sure. So I was going through that yesterday. I think it was pretty interesting. It's, it's basically a recap of sort of the analytics after the conference. Uh, the DA usually does that and posts it somewhere, uh, but it may not always make its way into the blog that's on Drupal.org, I think. Um, but, you know, as you mentioned, Mike, they were, the DA is essentially in the position where they had to cancel DrupalCon Europe this year in 2018 because it just financially wasn't feasible the way the event gets run. I think they tried to very much run it like DrupalCon North America and do the whole, like, you know, we're going to do training on Monday and three days of sessions and sprints over the weekends and, and the weekend before and have all these parties after and try to do this big thing. But, you know, that kind of stuff is very expensive. Um, trying to get the conference center and the Wi-Fi and the amount of people that they get is I think sometimes in a weird 
position where they're not big enough to get massive amounts of discounts, but too big to use smaller venues and smaller areas. Uh, so they're sort of cutting back on that. And um, as you mentioned, there's going to potentially, Lord, it looks like be a Drupal Europe this year that's going to be more volunteer run, which is which is really nice. I guess that'll be kind of like a big camp or something. Uh, but going through the, I don't know if we call it a post-mortem or, or what, from DrupalCon Vienna, uh, there's some interesting information, I think, in there. Like, it looks like their attendance didn't drop too much, even though they cut back a lot on different services. Like, there wasn't the Monday training, which didn't seem to be that popular in the European conferences anyway. Um, they cut back on some of the, like, pre-con and post-con events, um, and some of the parties and different swag they give out and things like that, but it doesn't seem to affect attendance too much. So I thought that was pretty interesting. And there's uh, there's some data in there that's people filling out surveys and self-identifying as to who they are, but also what they're looking for, what they're really interested in the conference. Um, like, do you care about the social events or do you care more about the sessions? You know, do you care about the training and the sprints or meeting people and networking and things like that. And I think that there's good information in there that basically shows people are for, focused on the sessions and networking and things like that, which you'd really expect, and just not so much focused on parties and social events and things like that. And that's, that's honestly, it's a really good place for you to save money by not having giant parties and extra days of events and stuff like that. Yeah, it seemed like the, the trainings and, and the also, you know, they cut out and there was no business summit or community summit in Vienna. Um, and like you said, they held on to, I think the number they quote, they held on to 95% of their attendance compared to Dublin. Um, looking at the actual numbers here, um, you know, somewhere around 100 people fewer went to Vienna um, than Dublin, which... You know, when you're talking about a conference of, you know, 16, 17, 1800 people, that's, that's, that's not a whole lot. Um, so, you know, I'm sure they saved a bunch of money by cutting out, you know, some of that stuff. And it, it looks like by cutting it out, they, they didn't really upset a whole lot of people, um, you know, based on, on the survey. So I, I think that's probably going to help inform, you know, uh, help the European community kind of figure out, well, what should a con have in the future? You know, here's some hard data now to kind of back up, um, you know, some of these assumptions that they made. Yeah, and especially if, if it's going to be more volunteer-driven. You know, this is a, an opinion that I've had for a long time doing some of these events and talking about things like burnout um, and, you know, what it is that we do to volunteers and how we sometimes, I think, abuse volunteers. Um, and so when people ask me about events and things that they're going to do, they're going to run their own camp or whatever. And I always say, just focus on the things that matter. And if something else really doesn't matter, you know, don't hurt yourself to do it, right? So if you want to do an after party, but you don't have the budget and you don't have the time, just don't do it. Even if people are asking for it, right? If they're asking for it, but they're not volunteering and they're not making it happen, it's too bad, right? Who cares? Um, and so and I think we're seeing that people really are there to be, focused on what matters, which is the sessions and, and seeing people in person and, and hanging out at the convention center, not the other things. Because, you know, do you need an after party when you're in a city when you can 
everybody can just get together and go out to dinner with their friends and go hang out at bars if they want to or go do something else in a hotel? Like, do you need the event to be the one that sort of sponsors all of that and sets it all up? Uh, I think that's honestly a lesson that can probably be learned for camps as well. All right, just focus on the things that matter. Like, organizing these things should be fun, right? It should be about the people that are there, getting people to show up. You know, sharing your love of technology and going over sessions and all that sort of stuff and not killing yourselves just to have after parties or spend money on T-shirts and all these other things. It's like, who cares, really, at the end of the day? Yeah, and I think we might, you know, whenever these things come up, there's always some clamor from people about it. Like, oh, I can't believe you're going to cut this out or you're not going to do that. That's that's wrong and all that. And based on the survey results, you know, maybe those are just the squeaky wheels, right? Maybe, you know, they're not maybe the majority that actually feels that way. If someone's not going to come to an event because there's not going to be a T-shirt, you know, that's <laughs> that's a pretty that's a pretty trivial reason, I think. So, um, anyway, okay, so let's uh, let's wrap things up here. Um, let me mention real quick, um, uh, Drupal Easy. We will be having. Um, our next long form class starts February 27th. It's called Mastering Drupal Development Workflows with Pantheon. So it's a six week live online class. Um, we meet twice a week for a class, uh, on, twice a week for half days um, online using GoToMeeting. And uh, this class is all about using Drupal 8, learning Drupal 8 the right way, um, specific to hosting on Pantheon. So we're going to be um, doing a lot with Composer and learning um, all about Pantheon's um, uh, interface and multi-dev and um, Quicksilver and you know, integrating um, our site, you know, a Drupal site with Pantheon uh, to the highest level. Um, in addition, we do talk about um, information architecture. We talk about um, using Solar. Um, we talk about um, using Composer um, the right way, as I mentioned. So if you're interested in learning the right way to um, build a Drupal 8 site and host on Pantheon and really get everything out of both platforms, um, check it out. Um, you can go to DrupalEasy.com. There's a big banner on the homepage. You can click on and get all the information about mastering Drupal development workflows with Pantheon. Um, upcoming events, uh, David, Drupal Camp, New Jersey, of course, February 2nd through 4th. Um, so registration is obviously still open for that. Uh, Florida Drupal Camp uh, takes place February, uh, two weeks later, February 16th through 18th. Um, again, Friday through Sunday, very similar structure to Drupal Camp, New Jersey. Um, I think this is probably the first podcast I'm recording since we've announced all of our featured speakers so let me just um, say uh, their names right now. So Adam Bergstein um, from uh, Civic, Civic Actions is one of our featured speakers. Uh, Sally Young from Lullabot is one of our featured speakers. And we had to bribe her with a trip to Disney World, um, but Angie Byron Webchick will be our third featured speaker at Florida Drupal Camp. Um, oh, that's how you did it. That's how we did it, yeah. so we had a, Quite a lineup you guys have. Like I said, there was bribery involved in uh, all three of I'm them, jealous. to be honest. So. <laughs> I'm from New Jersey. I should have realized I should have bribed people. What was I thinking? <laughs> well, it's our 10th year anniversary this year, so we wanted to kind of do something a little bit special. So we are, um, in addition, I should say we are, we are bringing in um, two, uh, dare I say, expert sprint organizer, 
organizers. We're bringing in uh, both Kathy Thays and Amy June Heinlein um, to help us organize and run our Sunday sprints. Um, and we have uh, six or seven trainings on Friday. Um, again, I don't have the list in front of me. I'm just I'm going to try my best to name them. I know we have an intro to Drupal 8. We have a React training. We have a CSS training. We have an Agile training. Um, I'm doing a configuration Drupal 8 configuration system training. And I feel like there's one that I'm forgetting, and I'm the worst person ever for not remembering what it is right now. You are. That's pretty bad. That is horrible. Maybe that's it. You know, let's assume maybe that's it. But if it's not it, then I feel really bad. So, so let me see. Um, unlike you, apparently I have a computer with internet access, so I can look up the website. There's a CSS training. Okay, got that one. I said that one. React. Oh, yeah. Uh, configuration management, okay. looks like. Yeah. Oh, uh, I, I know what Agile. it is. Agile. I remember it now. Intro to Backdrop. Ah, uh, yes, there is a Backdrop training. Both Jen and Nate are coming from the, the West Coast uh, to Florida Drupal Camp. Uh, this year to uh you have quite a lineup of attendees i'm just gonna have to come now. yes you should it is we, we actually um we're, we're very pleased with uh with the, re the reaction we've gotten and we're, we're trying to we've built up a little bit of a nest egg from the camp and we're trying to burn it down um and and do some fun things for our 10th anniversary so uh it's it's gonna be yeah it's gonna be a fun camp this year that's that's for sure. are there gonna be any surprises um sure anything i haven't told you will be a surprise Right. Okay. That's fair. Because you, you had the alligators last year. That was a surprise. We did have alligators. We didn't tell anybody about the alligators. Yeah. So there's definitely things that we are we are. Um, uh, there's one definite surprise we'll say, um, and then there's some other things which we're trying to trying to get our. Are you gonna have Mickey Mouse show up? Big guy in a suit. Can you imagine how much that would cost us to have like an official like Disney Mickey Mouse come? That would. I'm not even like that's something we don't even pursue. We've actually. I think at one point a few years ago, we looked into doing the camp at a Disney hotel, like on the property. Um, and I don't know, maybe we could pull it off now. It's just, it's just expensive. It's just, you know, they're very proud of their properties. Maybe next year you can do it at Mar-a-Lago. There we go. You know, that would probably uh, cut our attendance um, by a significant number, I think. But <laughs> um, So anyway, um, last event I want to mention, DrupalCon Nashville. April 9th through 13th coming up, um, and I believe today, so if you're listening to this podcast, you're too late, today's the last day for early bird registration. So if you are listening to this podcast and haven't registered for Nashville, you're paying full price, I'm sorry to say. Unless you want to volunteer as a mentor or get a session selected, those are still available. Those are still available. Not a whole lot of time for either one of those to get involved. Well, I think for volunteers, so... Um, but I think the volunteer stuff for getting a ticket is, I think that might be closed. I could be wrong though. I think they want to, I think they, they'd like to organize that and get that figured out ASAP. Um, anyway, let's, let's move on from that. Cause I, I, there's a lot of questions there and I don't have any of the answers. So it's all speculation. Um, let's do five questions with you, David, real quick. So name something interesting you do outside of Drupal. This information gathering. What is this all about? You guys are like putting together a dossier? Yes. Yes, we are. Uh, I like to pretend that I do artistic things like carvings and stuff. Um, in fact, if you're in the New Jersey area and you know of a place that uh, does classes for 
pottery. I would be interested in that. I'm actually having a great difficulty finding that. All right. I'm sure that there's there's a pottery. It seems like there's always pottery places. You say that. I do. And yet. And yet you're having I, trouble. The, the most I've been able to find are places like, hey, bring your kids and like paint on a plate. Yeah, and we'll no, no. Bake it for you. I'm like, no. I've been trying to find like evening, weekend classes that I can take on my own to do some to do some clay throwing as they say. I know your wife does that, right? Yeah, my wife well she hasn't done it in a while. She used to do it, but yeah, she she's done it. But that's why I was saying because I think that like even around here there's like four or five I think they call them like studios where you can like rent a you know, the machine and like, you know, they'll store your clay, they'll fire your your stuff, they'll they'll you know, they have all the supplies. Yeah, there's a there's a few of those I found as well, but they don't have classes. All right, maybe someone can help you out. I might end up doing it on my own. All right, well, that'll be uh, that'll be interesting. I think. Um, I'd like to see your first few projects. Right. <laughs> I'll take I'll take pictures. Are you gonna do? Uh, is it all gonna be Drupal related? Just like Drupal. Oh God, no. I I. <laughs> I am the most anti-Drupal culture person that you'll, you'll you'll maybe have on the podcast. I don't do songs. I don't do tattoos. I don't do weddings. And... You know, let me ask you a question because one thing I've always admired about, about Drupal Camp New Jersey is you guys give out good swag. Like I think last year was the knit hat, right? Or was it the scarf? Yeah, we've done, we've done hats twice. We've done scarves. We've done mugs. Can you say what you're doing this year? Well, we haven't fully decided because I'm... I think we're somewhat getting tired of spending money on something like that when we'd rather put the money towards the camp or, you know, not increase prices and things like that. And it's, again, it's like, it's a lot of work for volunteers, right? Like organizing the swag and things like that. So we, we're at least doing the chocolate, which we stole from you. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Actually. Yeah. So folks out there, if you're running a camp, Mike has the, uh, the hookup for getting little Drupal icon chocolates made. Exactly. And we're doing those this year, and I think we're probably going to do something else as well. So, uh, you know, I have a perfect solution for this. Forget about pottery. You should just take up knitting or, or, or something that you can bang out 200 of. Right. I'm going to knit 200 pairs of socks with your icons on them. You better, you better get busy. The camp's like in less than a month, dude. Yeah, I'm going to hurry up. Hope I don't get carpal tunnel. All right. Name your favorite movie. My favorite movie. You know, I'm not big on the, like, choose a singular favorite for things. Uh, I hear you, but, you know, uh, this is not, like, know, going on a permanent one? record or anything, so. I don't know. You don't know that. You guys are amassing a dossier. We are. This might end up with the FBI. Um, you know, one that's underrated that I actually used to watch a lot, it's one of the few movies that I think I, I sit down and watch over and over again, is The Color Purple. The Color Purple. Okay. Yeah. I used to watch that a lot. I think it's a great movie. Okay, I've never seen it. You've never seen The Color Purple? I feel bad saying that since you tell me you that you watch it over. You should feel bad. You should feel bad. It's a really great movie. But it's it's not it's not one of those movies that you see pop up on TNT every third Sunday. No. <laughs> it used to be on HBO a lot. Oh, really? Yeah. Like I feel like it would require effort to find that movie. Oh, I don't think so. Well, not with, you know, with, I'm sure it's on like Apple TV or somewhere these, these days. All right, well, that's a good one. It's not a short movie, though. You, you have to sit down and be interested in watching a movie, not like put it on while you're doing laundry. It's not like you can't like pop in halfway through and, 
something like that. No, that might be a little tough. That was Steven Spielberg, right? Uh, I don't know if he directed it or produced it. All right, that's a good one, though. Um, name your favorite music artist. Hmm. Same problem. Mm-hmm. My interests tend to vary. It's more like, who's my favorite of the dead? Okay, you know who, that's fine. I was actually thinking about that I miss a lot. Um, and, I, and so I was going through the whole anthology. Is I was going through a phase really missing Prince lately. So are you more about, like, like... Like Purple Rain Prince or later Prince or like just the whole thing? Yeah, more of a Purple Rain Prince. That whole that whole decade. You know what was weird for me is after I saw that movie, and that movie probably, I guess I, I was a teenager when it came out, I guess. Um, I didn't get so much into Prince. I got into Morris Day in the time. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. I thought they were they were fantastic. Well, they came hand in hand for quite a while. Yeah, they kind of did. I think they were. I think they were probably from Minneapolis as well. I I, I would guess. Yeah, they were. I believe in the same band when they were like teenagers or coming up. Oh, really? Because yeah, I think I think the both of them like went like grew up in the same neighborhood and like went to the same school together. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, but for some reason, I I I really just I could get into their music. Um, and now that I've said it out loud, like I think I might have to go. You know. Pop that on my uh, my Sonos later today. Yeah, I I do this thing where like I randomly encounter something that I forgot about, and then we'll spend the next two days listening to all the music. Yeah, I kind of I end up doing the same thing where I will listen to um, I have Sirius in my car, so I listen to classic Rewind a lot, and there'll be a song that comes on, you know, just while I'm driving around, and then I will f- you know, the next day I will find myself you know on Pandora looking for a station revolving around that person or that 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 artist. So, all right. Next up, uh, what is the last exotic animal that you hand felled? <laughs> I think I, I think I said it this way last time. So not hand felled, hand fed, or held, or interacted with. I might just change the question to hand felled, and that way everybody knows what I'm talking about. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I've technically ever felled an exotic animal of any kind. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure anybody should be felding an animal. That does not sound like something anybody should be doing. I don't even know what would count for this. Is a cow an exotic animal? Have you ever had a friend that like has a snake or tarantula or something like that? I mean, that counts. No. Really? I hate reptiles. God, I have friends with both of those things. The snakes I can deal with. They are with. not pets, people. Snakes are not pets. Yeah. They do not love you. How about a, how about a friend with like a, 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 a pet that's not a fish, a cat, or a dog? I, you might need to get out more. No. Yeah. No. I stick to pretty mundane animals. Do you like Do you like to go to the zoo, or do you not like zoos? I know some people who don't like zoos. That's cool. Uh, I'm not particularly into a zoo. I would say the last time well, the last time I went to the zoo, it's probably the Philly Zoo, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is one of the most depressing zoos that you'll probably ever encounter anywhere. All right, well, tell us a story about why the Philadelphia Zoo is so depressing, and we'll count that as, as this. Because the Philadelphia Zoo is it's one of the oldest ones, and it's very small because it's in a very confined area. <clears throat> um, instead of working with that, they decided that they're going to try to be like other zoos and have large animals in them. Oh, which is really stupid in a zoo that's like 10 square blocks in size. Oh boy. So you go there and they have like, they, they had an elephant that was in an enclosure that's smaller than my house. 
and like a rhino and another one next to it and like cheetahs in an enclosure in the back that was like 20 feet long and you're like cheetahs like why are they in this space here uh, and they also have a primate section uh, with some orangutans in it and if you ever go in there the last time I was there the orangutans just kind of sit there and they stare at you and they have the most depressing look on their face like why am I here could you just kill me now That's sad. I'm locked up in this little thing yeah and so I'm like it's fine if you have a zoo there. I wish they would work with the space that they have and not have large animals and just like because they have actually like a nice nocturnal exhibit, which has you know like the smaller animals and bats and things like that. And they do a reptile section. Like just work with that. Those are things that don't need massive amounts of space. Just do that kind of stuff. No, I, I tend to agree with just about everything you said there. We actually have. A, I think I probably mentioned this on the podcast before because I love this place so much. We actually have a local zoo, um, you know, near where I live and. They, I think they do exactly what you're talking about is they, you know, it, it's almost like a community. I don't want to say a community run zoo. It's, it's it, you know, it's a for-profit zoo, but it's, they're not trying to like compete with, you know, Disney and Universal, let me put it that way. Um, and they probably get like one new exhibit a year, but the exhibits are always so well done. And the animals have like a lot of, you can tell that they have a lot of areas, but they have a lot of room. Um, you know, it's still animals in cap- captivity, and I can understand why, why people have an issue with that. But yeah, I, I, I think that's. I think we're going to see a lot less of what you're talking about, and a lot more of. Yeah, make like real pretty exhibits that have birds in them and things like that. You don't need elephants and tigers. Um. All right. So, last question: What was your tipping point Drupal moment? You know what I mean by that. No. So when you first started getting into Drupal, was there a moment or was there something that happened or something you did or something you saw or someone you saw speak where you went, wow, I really like Drupal. This is where I want to kind of focus my time for the next, you know, X projects or X years. Hmm. Good question. Hmm. I don't know if I've ever had a tipping point. Maybe it's more of a gradual process. Because uh, I started using it at work because it it met our technical requirements. Um, and then we there was a meetup that got started in New Jersey. That's that was the genesis of our our local meetup, and I started attending that. Um. I don't know if I ever got to a point where I'm like, I mean, I, there's clearly a point where I'm all in, um, but whether or not I'm like all in to the point of like emotionally all in, maybe when it was, I don't know, when I first started really contributing a lot to core and felt like I was part of the gang. But So was there a point where you stopped, like when you, started a new project you know where you stopped seriously considering you know drupal competitors and were just saying well you know i'm a drupal person now i don't think so because so the thing is i was i was using it at work and we went through like a, a really extensive process to find a cms that would work for our needs and that's how i ended up on drupal so when i created new projects at the organization i was at there wasn't a thought about going to something else. It was like, well, we just went through that. 
like, and this is the one that works. So you said you said a second ago that you were mentally all in when you started contributing to core. Yeah, if you're talking more like, are you all in with the community and the people around? Yeah, that's it? fair. Maybe can, that's yeah, it's a different question. We can define the question however we want. So how long? Yeah. How how far, time wise, had you been using Drupal when that happened? Uh, maybe a couple years. couple years. And then where where did you start contributing? Um, I would say just randomly. Are we talking Drupal five? Drupal six? What are we talking? Um, for actually contributing, probably seven. Yeah, and then most of my like real, massive, energetic, dedicated contributions have been an eight. Uh, but yeah, I would I would say more like I I think maybe this is why I've been more involved in things like governance, uh, is because I've always been more attached to Drupal from the com community side of it with like people and events and camps and sprints and things like that, as opposed to purely just the software aspect. Um, because I, you know, I used it as a product and I still just use it as a product. I care less about the software than going to meetups and camps and conferences and dealing with people and conversations and things like that, because that's pretty much what I did. Yeah, you know, we used it, but I like I didn't start using it because I wanted to spend all my time contributing to it and writing software. Right? I just used it as a thing, but my energy went more into the things that involved people around it. That seems like a very healthy way of of of, of looking at it. Not even looking at it, but of being. Right? You you are. I think what you're saying is you are in it for the people more than you're in it for the actual, you know, code written in, in, in files. Yeah, I've had a few conversations with people like that where we, we argue about things that Drupal does as a software, and I'm never emotionally attached to any of it. Like, we got to do it this way, or like, what, this solution got worked on forever, and like, <clears throat> but to be Drupal, it, like, it has to have this particular, like, this is what its market is, and, this, and I'm like, I don't care. I really don't care. <laughs> Do, okay, if it changes and it does something else, okay. Uh, I think I had a long conversation at a bar once with a few people after a camp, and there were discussions from people about whether they would leave Drupal because they were getting interested in other things. And they were like, well, I just don't know if core is the thing that I want it to be anymore. Right. Right, just like the way it's set up and like how it's how certain things are done, and like maybe I want to do something else, and you know, and then what happens? Like, what happens when you know, what if Drupal dies or whatever? And I kept telling people, you know, we're we're all here at a camp because we wanted to see each other, not because we really give a shit about the software, right? If Drupal dies tomorrow, like all of us are still here, we could just make something else whatever is the new version of that, right? So if the software changes or the software goes away, we all still know each other. Like, we're not here for the software, right? That seems a ridiculously healthy, like from a, a you know, a, a ridiculously healthy way of looking at it. And that's why I, you know, the one thing that kind of annoy me are when people get into so many arguments where they're really fighting with people and not really just fighting about the technical aspects of everything. You know, it's a, you know, 
let's can we take a step back here? Because I don't want you two might getting into a technical fight, but I don't want you to end up getting into a person-on-person fight. There's really no reason for that, especially when we're just talking about a piece of software. Like, don't spend your emotional energy on software. It doesn't care about you. Uh, that you know, I, I feel like that's a great place to end the podcast. That was, uh, yeah, no, it's very wise words. Um, So, and I'm going to, I'm going to follow that up by asking where can people find you online? Uh, You can find me in the Drupal Slack. I'm actually one of the admins of it. Um, Technically, I'm the owner of it. So if you ever need um, help in the Slack or moderation, feel free to ask us. The list of admins is actually located on Drupal.org's website someplace. Um, you can also find me on Twitter. I assume you're going to put links for all that sort of stuff. Yep. Um, yep. My Twitter is David Narabolis. That's the handle. So you can find me through that. You can find me on Drupal.org and places. I think my contact form is available on Drupal.org. If anybody needs to get a hold of me, I don't mind that at all. Um, I know I've asked you, um, obviously not on this podcast, but the, your Twitter handle is different than your Drupal.org username. Yes. Because if you're me... It's impossible to get anything with the name David Hernandez associated with it, since there appears to be 50,000 of us on the United States alone. So anytime I try to get like a user account for something, it's like impossible. And I'm not one of those people that have like an avatar, like Ultimike. Yeah, well, can't all be lucky like I am. Um, where does the Rabbalist come from? Uh, so there's a long story behind it. But it's basically just kind of like a Latin word, somewhat made up, where uh, a group of friends uh, of mine, we were trying to like set up a hosting account, and we just needed a domain. Uh, and it's one of those things where like domain names are just so hard to find that we found that one was available, so I started using it for things. And so like for my email address and for the website, and it was just easy and short, so I just kept using you it. You make fun of me, or you, well, you not really make fun of me, but... Um, for Ultimike, but you've got you've got it right there in front of you. You just have to choose to to embrace it. Get rid of the David. But it's not really mine. It's not mine. It's not it's not part of my person. Well, I have other friends that actually still use the domain. Oh, really? Okay. All right. So it's part of theirs as well. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. All right. Well. That's what you do. All right. Well, you might have to negotiate with them. Well, we we can work on that. All right, uh, let's finish things up here. Um, As always, thanks to webenable.com and devpanel.com for their continued support. If you enjoyed this podcast, all... How long have we been going here? My goodness. I always, you know, I've been trying to keep these to under an hour, and we just, we are not even trying on this one. Um, If you enjoyed this podcast, and if in the off chance you're still listening, um, and you want to hear more, just go to drupaleasy.com slash podcast, or search for drupaleasy in any of the various podcast um, platforms. And I think that's it. I think we'll end there. All right. I'll do it for you, Mike. See ya. No, I don't, I can't, I can't allow that. That does not fly. That's in my, it's in my contract with my own company that I have to be the one to say that. Otherwise someone's in big trouble. So anyway, David, thank you very much. Anytime. And um, hopefully we'll see you in Florida. Yeah. Look forward to it. All right. I'll let you do it. Go ahead. You do it. See ya. That wasn't bad.